Hello and welcome to the Self-Sufficient Podcast. This is Carl from selfsufficienthub.com and we're here to talk all things self-sufficiency. Welcome to episode 15 and today we're going to talk about chickens. Now I love chickens. I love my chickens. I love your chickens. I love all the chickens. They are just the cutest, greatest, funniest animals. They're very, very affectionate and very, very productive. And all they want to do is go to work for you. So if you are even remotely interested in self-sufficiency, you absolutely have to get some chickens. They have to be a part of your self-sufficiency plan. They do so much work and to try and set up any kind of self-sufficient system where you're going to try and become food secure and uh, predominantly work towards being 100% food self-reliant, then chickens are just an absolute no-brainer. They're such an integral part of what we do here. And I'm going to talk to you today about why you should have them and a few of the sort of more more basic introduction, things that you need to know about choosing your chickens, how you look after them, what they're going to do for you, and why you really do, really do need to consider getting them if you haven't already. So first of all, you need to decide on which chickens you're going to get. Now, I think to start out, at least, you should focus on egg-laying breeds. Now, Strictly speaking, there's there's three different types of chicken. So there's your egg-laying chickens, then there's your meat birds, and then there's dual-purpose birds, which, you've guessed it, do both. But they don't do either quite as well as the dedicated birds would. So I'm going to start talking about those, and those those three types of birds are going to be the ones I'm really talking about this episode. But there is a fourth type, and they are just the more ornamental ones. So we have a quite a selection here on the homestead. We've got lots of egg-laying birds. We don't have any specific meat breeds, um, although we do produce some chicken meat, but we don't do it... Uh, that we, we get our chicken meat as a byproduct of what else we're doing here. But what we do have, we have a fourth type, which is the, uh, you know, the aesthetic birds, and they're predominantly my wife's, but she just loves having them around, breeding them. She's So just outside the kitchen door, we've got a small flock of predominantly Peking bantams, which they do lay eggs. They lay quite a number of eggs, and we're very happy with the eggs, but they're predominantly her pets. But they do also command quite a decent price. So you can breed your chickens and sell the the young chickens of whatever breed you have. So that's just another way that they can pay for themselves. So I'm going to start by talking about egg-laying birds. And the main breed to promote, from my point of view, as an egg-laying bird would be the ISA Browns. They're the breed that basically makes up the whole of the battery farming sector of our farms. And they don't have a particularly nice life when they're barn birds so I do want to encourage you to look into saving battery hens now the ISA brown is is 
just a great bird. They're so well behaved. We find them so easy to look after. We've got over a hundred here and it's the bird that we have the most of. And over 50% of our flock are ex-battery hens. Now, battery hens will uh, be put into work at a very young age. They start laying eggs when they're very young and they lay eggs every day at a ridiculous rate and then they start to drop off when they're just a year and a half old. So after a year and a half of living in not very good conditions, they're no longer deemed worthy of their spot and they go off to slaughter and they end up in animal feed and dog food and things like that. So at that point, even though under the very, very tight margins of a battery farm farming setup, they're not viable, they very much are as backyard hens. So we get most of our birds as ex-battery hens. So they've spent that period of their lives churning out eggs at a ridiculous rate under not very good conditions. And we give them a beautiful retirement. So we give them lots of open space, grass, and spoil them rotten. But in return, they continue to give us, again, a ridiculous number of eggs. They really do. So please do look into that at the very least, even if you don't go that way, at least consider it because it's, I think it's a nice way of doing a little bit to increase the, the well-being of that animal's life that's already served humanity in such a, an abhorrent way. But we also buy some ISA browns, which are the same breed, but we buy them at point of lay, which means they're, they're just about ready to start laying. So we also get that that extra bit of time when they're at their highest production. But again, we don't try and make any of the situation that they live in anything other than natural. They just do this on their own, living their best life, you know. So they're the egg-laying breed that I personally use and would suggest. But there are some others if you want to go down the more interesting to look at birds or just some different varieties then australops are another great egg laying breed rhode island reds are a very well-known egg laying breed and a leghorn is another egg laying breed now i think that those are all specifically egg laying breeds there may be a couple of those that you can use as meat birds as well but you can use any bird as a meat bird really and I'll get into that a bit later in the episode when I'm talking about raising chicken meat. But for now, we're just talking about the egg laying type. Now, when you've got a flock of birds, you'll have a decision to make. And that is, are you going to keep a cockerel or two? And my advice is that you do. And the reason for this is, well, lots of reasons, but the main one is breeding. So, I keep all of our hens with at least one cockbird. So you only need one cockbird per 12 hens or more. And they will keep all of those eggs fertile. And then you can raise your own chicks, which you can do either in an incubator or you can let nature take its course and allow your hens to sit on those eggs and raise them. Now, the ISA browns don't tend to go broody and sit on eggs because they've had that bred out of them because it's a very 
unuseful thing for a battery farmer to have to deal with is a lot of broody hens that aren't laying anymore. But if you've got a mixture of birds, then you almost certainly will have some broody birds every spring and quite often other times of the year as well. Our peakins are well known as being really good broody hens. So when one of our peakins decides that she's going to sit on some eggs, we make sure that she's got some of our ISA brown eggs under her and she's going to hatch our next round of laying birds, which is, you know, a great way of keeping everything going and keeping that cycle of energy where we want it and not having to go out and buy more birds. Now, of course, only the females will lay your eggs. So a byproduct of your own breeding system is you're going to have cockbirds that you don't want. Now, beyond the few cockbirds that you will want for breeding, every other bird is just going to be a hungry mouth to feed that doesn't actually give you very much back. So we allow them to grow to maturity and again they have a great life and then they become meat birds. So that's how we produce our meat. They're a byproduct of our egg laying birds. I'm going to talk a bit more about how you breed your birds and how you use an incubator and things like that and also meat birds after this small break. It's really easy for you to get in touch with us and leave us your questions, feedback or ideas for the show. If there's anything you'd like to hear about or a question you've got about something I've said, just leave us a message. The easiest way to do that is to contact us via the show notes. In the show notes, there's a link where you can send us a voice message and we can play it on the show. Please don't forget to leave your name and where you're calling from. Thanks. Now back to the show. So breeding your own hens, if you've got a broody hen, and what I mean by that is you'll have a hen that decides she's not getting up anytime soon. She's literally going to sit in the nesting box for days on end, just coming out for the odd drink and a quick bite of food and then straight back. It's because she's decided she's going to sit on these eggs and hatch them. Now, they will readily accept extra eggs. So you can either swap the eggs that are under her for the eggs you want hatched, or you can just add a few that you want hatched to the ones that are already under her. Now, at this point, I think it's quite important that you separate her into another little run so that other hens can't continually lay eggs that she might try to adopt and you'll lose track of which ones she's supposed to be sat on, which ones she's not, and eventually she'll have too many and she can't keep them warm and you'll have a high failure rate. So that's one way of doing it. Another way is to use an electric incubator. Now, we use the broody hen method because it's natural, it's free, and, you know, we've got the broody hens, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with using the incubator method. The only downside of the incubator method, apart from the electric costs, are that you don't also end up with a mother hen when you've got your new chicks who's going to teach them how to eat, how to forage and all that kind of thing. Now, when you've got your baby hens, you can either buy a product called Chick Crumb, which is basically like a, you know, chicken feed pellet, but a much smaller version for them. And it's got all the extra nutrients that the chicks need. Or what we feed ours are boiled eggs, mashed up, mixed with a bit of bread and they love it and it's got everything they need along with a bit of foraging that mum will take care of for you. So that's how we feed our our chicks. Feeding your birds in general across the board is 
dependent largely on the size area you're able to give them. The bigger area you're going to be able to give them, the less you're going to need to find to feed them full stop because they are great foragers. They will eat slugs and bugs and worms and also peck at the grass and other plants. In my experience, they're pretty good at knowing what they can and can't eat. You can check online for lists of plants that are poisonous to your hens, but we've we've never had any trouble with our hens eating anything they shouldn't have. They're also great at eating scraps from the kitchen. So with a bit of thought and enough space, you really can get your food costs down to zero. They love a bit of corn and mealworms make a great treat. If you've got some chickens that you're struggling to tame or you're struggling to get to go away at night, teaching them that a few mealworms will be put in the in the run before you shut them away will definitely do the job. Now, of course, like all animals, they will need access to lots of fresh, clean water. So don't overlook that. Now, talking about meat birds, strictly speaking, any bird that is raised for meat can be referred to as a broiler. But the broilers that are used in the factory farming process are super inbred to a point where they don't even function really as animals anymore. It really is quite sad. They're bred to put on weight at such a rate that their legs can't even support their weight. And it really is quite a disgusting state of affairs. I don't suggest you go searching for images online, but if you did, you'd see what I meant. There are some less inbred versions of of birds that you can breed if you want to breed something specifically for meat that, you know, get to a nice size fairly quickly. And those will be things like the Jersey Giant and the Orpington. Now, Orpington's a nice bird because it's a dual purpose bird. So they do lay quite good eggs. The only downside is they don't lay as many eggs as your egg breeding hens, but and also they take a little bit longer to get to their full size. But if your main goal is to have a dual purpose bird and maintain the welfare of the animal, then Orpingtons, I think, are a great variety to go for. The next thing you'll want to think about is keeping your bird safe. Now, when we think of free-ranging birds, we imagine they've got access to acres and acres of land and everybody's having a grand old time. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. If you were to truly free-range your birds, and if I was to allow my chickens access to our whole garden... They would get picked off by the fox in short order. They would not last a month. So we do free range our birds, but we do it with inside an electric fence. So we've got an electric fence that we move. So they've got access to grass all the time and they've got lots and lots of space. But the idea of actually free ranging a hen and giving them as much freedom as you can it doesn't really work if you also want to keep them alive, unfortunately. But free ranging is very important for keeping their costs down and feeding. So it's not just for the birds, you're doing it for yourself. The more you can give them access to, the better. Now, the hens we've got outside our kitchen, they've got 
um, access to probably about half an acre, but it's half an acre of fenced off garden that our dogs are also free ranging in. So they keep our animals safe in that space. Our hens that are a bit further out, our hens that are, are mainly our egg layers, they're not in that space with the dogs. So there's nothing there to deter the fox and the badger. So they're within that electric fencing. Um, we have another run within our wood and that's got six foot Harris fencing all the way around it. And we've also got a strip of electric fence about eight inches off the ground all the way around that as well to stop things digging under it. So you do need to think about the safety of your birds. Now, another way a lot of people do it is they keep them in a, a hutch overnight and then they let them out onto their lawn in the day. That can work really well if you are in an area where you're not likely to get a fox come and see you during the day. And obviously I'm talking about the UK. In the UK, the fox is the biggest predator we have for our hens, but you'll know your own predators better than me if you live elsewhere. But Something that's quite common and works quite well in the UK is you just allow your birds to free range in the day and then you shut them up at night. They do automatically go home in at nighttime at dusk. So something that can help with that is an automatic door. We've got two automatic doors on our runs out in the field where the electric fence is so that once our hens are away at night, the door comes down automatically. It's on a solar sensor and that's just that extra layer of security for our hens. If you're going to feed them feed in a feeder, I strongly recommend that you use a treadle feeder. Now, they, they do have a cost, but once you've got one, you've got one. And what they are is a big box that stores the food in, and it's a vermin-proof box. And to access the feed, the chickens stand on a little trapdoor that opens up where the feed is, and they're really effective. And they keep your feed costs down primarily because... There's no rats and mice that you're feeding, but they also deter those animals who would be attracted by the feed. So they're a, a really great addition. Once you've got your fencing in place, if you've got a normal four foot fence or something of that nature, your chickens will, or depending on your breed, most likely learn to jump up on it and get to wherever they want to get. So you can clip their wings. It's really simple. You just extend their wing out and you take care not to actually damage the wing itself, but you can just cut the cut the uh, the flight feathers back with a pair of scissors. We normally just do one wing, and that stops them from being able to fly off and get to where we, we don't want them. And it doesn't damage them, it doesn't hurt them any more than cutting your fingernails does. You might want to worm your chickens. It really does depend on your stocking levels and whether you're able to change the ground they're on because the worms live in their feces. And if you're moving the hens to a different plot every six weeks and then letting that ground recover and using good animal husbandry, then it, you, you probably won't need to. Another thing we do to keep on top of worms is we've got some wormwood bushes that I've transplanted into all the areas that we put the chickens and they can self-medicate from that bush. So that's just about everything I've got to say about raising chickens for today, I think. And hopefully, if you don't have any already, I've inspired you to consider getting some. And they really do make great pets. So even though the main purpose of having them here is to feed into what we're trying to achieve and being food secure, they do also make great pets. They've got great characters and 
I'm sure if you get them, you won't regret it. Thank you for listening. See you on the next one. If you find these podcasts valuable, there's several ways you can support them. The easiest is to leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. The other ways you can help us are by sending it to someone else, try and introduce it to new listeners, or blog about it, or include it in some way you post online. All the ways you support us really make a difference. Thanks for your help. See you on the next one.